Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got, got down out of the boats, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the, the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Um, I'd love you to have Matthew 14 uh, up on your uh, lap or on your computer screen or tablet. And, and I want us to think about a word that appears twice in that passage, sentence 28 and 30. We see uh, for the first time uh, the word Lord, Lord, uh, 28 and 30. The word Lord is a kind of a hackneyed phrase today. We don't use it very often. The word Lord is uh, used to describe people who sit on red leather benches in the house of lords it's a it's a title a peerage or perhaps it's a word that's used in a jane austen uh, novel it's uh, describing a, an age past from uh, her pen describing mr darcy coming out of a lake with a wet shirt on and, and there's the lord of the manor and all that kind of idea we don't use the word lord very much in our modern vocabulary but it's here in matthew 14 and it's, it's a title that is given to Jesus Christ. He is Lord. And I want us to think about that because there's a, a contrast in 1 Corinthians of 12. Paul says, no one, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So how does that work? How can someone call Jesus Lord, whatever that means, but that's only possible if the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart? Because anyone can say Jesus is Lord, it's, it's just air across our vocal cords. It's just words coming out of our lips. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that actually for you to call Jesus Lord, for someone to say that Jesus is Lord and he reigns and rules over their hearts, for someone to say that Jesus is Lord and really mean it, that is a spiritual thing. That's not just a mechanics of vocal cords and air. For someone to understand that Jesus is Lord and to be transformed by that truth, that's something very different. And only the Holy Spirit can do that to a person's heart, a man or woman or a boy or girl. It's a very profound thing for someone to say that Jesus is Lord. 
Matthew 14 tells us that because Jesus is Lord. That's not just a title that happens at the, uh, the outside or painted onto an old church building. Matthew 14 tells us and shows us that Jesus is Lord. What does Matthew 14 mean? First of all, I think it shows us that Jesus is, he's the sovereign Lord. He's the sovereign Lord. Look at sentence 25 and 26 with me again. It says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. While the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. One thing that uh, Caroline said to the children and therefore to us so clearly and helpfully was that Jesus is not just walking on water. That would be amazing. I mean, who does that? No one does that. If you do that in a paddling pool, you get wet. If you do that in a public swimming pool, people think that you're crazy and foolish. But Jesus is not just walking on water. It's not just a, a billiard table of serenity in the Maldives. Jesus is walking on water in the midst of a storm, it says in Matthew chapter 14. Now, the ancients were very good of, at understanding the reality of the water and the seeds and storms as a metaphor for how life, how the cosmos worked. I mean, you, you could go and you could walk for hundreds and hundreds of years, for centuries, and the earth would remain still beneath your feet. You would get very uh, old very quickly and you'd get very dusty toes and your shoes would, would wear out. But you may come across a sinkhole. You may come across an earthquake, depending on what part of the, the world you're walking in. But, but the sea is very different. Where the land is solid and secure, the ancients and, and modern people too understand the sea as a darkness that covers a reality of confusion and, and, and enemies and beasts that lie beneath the surface of the deep. Whenever a storm comes up, uh, you can feel weak, you can feel afraid and scared. The waves rise and the currents get stronger. The sea is a place not of safety, but a place of alarm and uncertainty, a place of confusion and an uncontrollable kind of existence, like in Moby Dick with a great big animal coming out of the sea. So when you're walking on the land, it's safety and security, but, but when you're in the sea, things can change very, very quickly. Almost in a moment, you can feel serenity is replaced by a storm. Something can come up and chomp you, chomp your dinghy. Something can come and chomp you and make you feel unsafe. That's why Jaws and the eerie music that it's so well known for is so, so popular because it taps into our fear of the deep. But Jesus is not just uh, walking with uh, serenity on water. He's not even trudging through water like a tough mudder challenge. Have you seen those when people go out and do some crazy uh, things? They get covered in mud. They, they climb up walls. Jesus is not climbing and clambering through water. He's not covered with uh, spray and sea. He's not batting down animals that uh, are coming up from beneath the surface of the deep. Jesus is walking through the storm. Jesus is not uh, having his arm outstretched with a staff like Charlton Heston uh, towards the Red Sea. There's no sweat on his brow. He just kind of snaps his fingers and, and there he is. He's, he has a poise and a certainty. 
He's the Lord of the storm, says Matthew. He doesn't have to say, stand back. He doesn't get his staff and hold it out to exhibit and stretch out his mighty arm of power. He's not rolling up his sleeves. He's, he's not even saying, in this storm, peace be still, like he does in another part of the gospel. Jesus, in Matthew 14, shows absolute serenity and power over nature. He's the Lord of the storm as he walks through the wind and the waves. That's what Matthew 14 is showing. Jesus Christ is Lord, and that means he has absolute power. Jesus is not floating above the ground wearing a white smock as in some 70s children's Bible. But neither is he some macho man with, a, with an extra large beard and huge biceps like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Jason Statham. He's the Lord of the storm. Perfect humanity dwelling with perfect divinity. There's nothing he can't handle. There's nothing that's outside the realm and sphere of his control. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. There are many reasons you can come to church this morning. And the ancients and the modern people in the modern mindset know the same thing too. Very often what happens in a person's life is that everything can be uh, happening with, uh, with a sense of calm. You can be progressing up your career path. Your, your family size can be increasing. Your relationship can be prospering. But then through no fault of your own, circumstances in your life changed. And your business can suddenly crumble and a relationship can end and a loved one can die. And it's at that point, sometimes people reach out and say, is there any truth in Christianity? Is there any truth in, in Islam? Is there any truth in new age meditation? But for all of those false claims, Jesus exhibits the fact that he is Lord. And he's Lord over this storm. And he's Lord over every storm. There's no waves that are too big. There's no storm that's too great. There's no undercurrent in your life that is pulling you down that Jesus can't see and has authority over. Your relationships, your career, your family can be increasing and prospering. But it may be a financial crisis like in 2008. It could be the death of a loved one like in the current pandemic. It could be any reason that's shaking you to the core. And whatever the storm is that you're passing through, Jesus in Matthew 14 reveals his character. He's Lord over the storm. He's Lord over your storm. He's Lord over every storm. That's the first thing that we see about Jesus' lordship from Matthew 14. But that's not the only thing. He's sovereign Lord, but he's also the ultimate Lord. The ultimate Lord. It's there in sentence 27. Says, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, it is I. Perhaps your translation put it that way. And what Jesus says here is far more amazing than what he's just done. What he says, the claim he makes in this sentence, is far greater than the miracle he's just done. He's just fed 5,000 people, he's just walked on water. But then Jesus said something in the midst of the storm that's incredible. He says, take courage, it is I. Jesus takes the divine name, 
God's name, I am, and applies it to himself. In the original language, it's ergo eimi. He says, I am. This is the divine name. This is the name that God, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, takes upon himself. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God is revealing his divinity. He's revealing his glory. He's revealing his very nature and character to Moses, his servant from the Old Testament. And he uses just the same words. He says, I am. God could choose any way to reveal his character and nature. And yet he chooses these two simple words to reveal his divinity, to reveal his personhood, to reveal his godness. He says, I am Moses. Now we need to think about this. This is very, very profound. It would be uh, no good for Jesus to say, Moses, I was. I was has no meaning to God because God has no beginning. But neither does God need to say, I will be, because God doesn't change. And so he says, I am. I am. I've always been. I've got no beginning and I have no end. I am. He's the ultimate Lord. He's saying this enormous claim, Jesus, in the midst of the storm, he's saying, I am the God of the Old Testament. And the God of the Old Testament walks in the midst of the storm. I am here. You're seeing God before you. God in human flesh walking on water. The divine son of God, the incarnate son is here in your midst. I'm the transcendent God who created the world. I'm the the author of creation. I'm the sustainer of creation. All things, Paul says, all things in me move and have their being. Nothing exists without my authority. Nothing, no sparrow falls to the floor without my say-so. I'm Lord of all. I'm the omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the cosmos. And the wind and the waves know my voice because I was there at the beginning. When you see Jesus is the sovereign Lord, you see he's not just a power. He's not a, a competing religious leader next to Mohammed. Jesus is saying, all authority comes from me. I'm the sovereign Lord. All authority is on loan from me. Every earthly authority that's good is a mirror of my ultimate lordship and authority. He's not just a Lord. He's the sovereign Lord. He's not just a powerful one. He's the source of all power. And knowledge. He's the ultimate Lord. He has the final authority. And so when he comes into your life, Jesus is not a bolt on that you put in the USB port of religion in your heart. Jesus commands and demands preeminence. He demands that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He demands everything because of who he is. He's the sovereign Lord, but also he's the holy Lord. He's the Holy Lord. Look at sentence 23. In sentence 23, it says, When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from him, from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So what's the implication? Next sentence. 
when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, Caroline made the point to the kids. In this boat, there is disciples, and some of the disciples were fishermen. They were used to the wind and the waves. They were used to being on the sea in the, the still of the night. They, they, were, they were used to having their hair wetened and, and salt on their lips. They were used to storms. So what was it that frightened them in this story? They'd been terrified before. They'd been afraid before, but not at the wind and the waves. Look at what is the source of their fear. Did you notice when Moses met God in the burning bush, Moses hit the deck. He took his sandals off. He realized he was in on holy ground. And it was the source of fear for the disciples in this instance, when they saw not the wind and the waves, but when they saw the, the holy otherness of Jesus, they were terrified in whose presence they were. They saw something of the divinity of King Jesus that they hadn't seen before as he provided food miraculously for 5,000 people. They were afraid not at nature, but at the one whose voice nature is attentive to. They were terrified at King Jesus. They were terrified when they saw his lordship for the first time. I mean, God revealed his glory to Moses in the fury of the fire. And here's Jesus revealing his majesty in the fury of a storm. They saw his something of his holiness. I mean, what is holiness? We could, people have written books, big books on this topic, but just a moment on holiness. Holiness is not a comparative term. Think of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. David was uh, the little teenager. Uh, Goliath was a nine foot tall. And, and he could say, look at that huge guy. That's not holiness. Holiness is not saying uh, a comparative term. Someone is short. Someone is taller. Someone is weaker. Someone is stronger. We don't compare ourselves to God in terms of he is holy and we are not. Whilst that is true. Holiness is a completely different category. It's not comparative. And here the disciples see that Jesus is holy other. He lives in a completely different category. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? He's walking on the water. Who is this person? And it's that that they saw. And it's that that caused them to be terrified. These were hard-nosed fishermen. It wasn't the storm. It wasn't the salt on their lips. It wasn't the fact that the boat was rocking and they were probably feeling seasick. It was the divinity of Jesus that struck them to the core. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? When people see the holiness of God in the Bible, they're not comfortable. They feel undone. They take off their shoes. They bury their eyes in the ground. They're afraid. They lose their confidence in themselves. And they prostrate, they bow before the majesty of the king of the cosmos. One of the signs that you're a Christian is that you see something of that. You can run to Jesus and you can uh, plead as if a child running into the lap of a father. 
And that's completely appropriate, the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's also the appropriate place for remembering that our God is a consuming fire. God is sovereign. He is holy. He is pure. And the disciples saw something of that because Jesus is Lord and he's the sovereign Lord. And he's also the holy Lord. Seeing who Jesus was caused a storm, not just on the, on the lake where they were, but a storm in their hearts. That happened in the heart of Isaiah. When he saw the purity and the majesty of God, he fell on his face as though dead. That happened at Mount Sinai when the glory of God descended, the Shekinah glory of God descended and the mountain shook and, and no one, not even an animal, could touch the mountain because of the purity and divinity and power and majesty of God. There was a storm raging on the water, but Jesus caused a storm in the disciples' heart as well. They were terrified. Who is this man? I won't ever be good enough for this man. All my guilt, all my fear, all my despair for this man. But he's not just a man. He's the divine son of God. Take courage. I am. I'm God walking amongst you. God walking on the water. But there's something else. Jesus is not just Lord. He's not just the sovereign Lord. He's not just the holy Lord. Jesus is something other than Lord in this wonderful passage. There's a clue there in uh, verse 27. If Jesus is only Lord, if he is only holy other, if he belongs to a different category that we struggle to even entertain or understand, we're all sunk. We're all sunk in our boats of life. His purity will destroy us. His purity means that he can't come close to us. But look at sentence 27 again. Jesus is not just Lord. He's something other than Lord. It's there in sentence 27. I am no fear. There are four words in the original language in this sentence. I am no fear. Or you could have it translated, take courage, I am. If you know something of the Old Testament from uh, Sunday school, perhaps when you were younger, or perhaps uh, you went to church when you were younger in life, you will know that when God's holiness is revealed in the Old Testament, there's a big no entry sign. No one can go near to him because of his character. People should fear. People should tremble. People can't come close. And yet here, you're not told to take your shoes off. You're not told to bow before Jesus, the divine one. Jesus's divinity, Jesus's holiness is to bring us comfort. Do you see that's so shocking in sentence 27? I am, therefore no fear. I am, therefore don't be afraid. I am, so trust me for the future. I am, have confidence in who I am. Therefore, don't be afraid. Jesus is making this audacious claim. My holiness no longer needs to be oppressive to you. It no longer needs to shock you. My holiness, if you understand it, is a great comfort to you, says Jesus. I am. I'm the divine son of God, perfect and equal in majesty and might and power to my father. But I am. Don't be afraid because of who I am. 
my purity, my majesty, my might, my character and nature is an assurance to you. It's an entry sign, not a no entry sign. Now, how could that be? I mean, is there any storm that Jesus, because of his power, has not walked through? Well, there is one. Jesus is not just Lord, he's also Savior. He's walking on the water in the midst of a storm to comfort his disciples. But there was one storm where he didn't say, be still to the wind and the waves. There was one storm where the winds and the waves crushed him and he sunk deeper and deeper down into the depths. It was the storm, not of nature, but the storm of the wrath of his father, the storm of God's justice, that the wind and the waves of God's justice battered Jesus, the son on the cross. He went under and he went under for you and for me. He's not just Lord, he's saviour. And God the Father was completely satisfied with the work of his son on the cross. The resurrection proves that. The resurrection is a big tick on history that God the Father is satisfied with the work of his son. But here's the wonderful truth. Because Jesus Christ went through that storm, the storm of the justice of God, he will be with you through every storm. And so God's holiness can now to you be a comfort in uh, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 there's a remarkable sentence that says if we confess our sins he God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness look at what Jesus says or claims in that sentence Jesus is not just faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins That sentence says, were God to fail to forgive us of our sins, Jesus, God, would be unjust. He would cease being holy. And that could never happen to God. Jesus went under the wind and the waves of God's justice for you and for me. So God could never ask for a second payment or he wouldn't be God. He'd cease being just. He'd cease being holy and pure. And that means now, the holiness of God is a comfort to us because God can never go back on his promise and he's completely satisfied in the work of his son. So sentence 27, it is I, I am the holy one, says Jesus. And because I'm the holy one, you're saved. I died on the cross to completely satisfy the justice of my father. So that when you see my holiness, when you sense that, That is actually a comfort to you. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Take courage. And so if you're in a storm right now, you can look at this miracle and say, actually, it's not just Jesus walking on the water that's so incredible. What's even more incredible is that God is dwelling in the midst of a sinful people and he's not destroying them by the purity of his holiness. What's even more incredible is that you've got God in flesh, in a boat. And so that now we know his holiness is a comfort to us. And now we know that because Jesus did not desert us in the storm of God's wrath, he will not desert you in any storm. You don't need to uh, go and read your Bible more if things are hard. You don't need to go and get yourself ready and, and then God will be pleased with you. Then you can start coming to church when we can meet again. 
here's, here's a test that you've understood the gospel. Because Jesus went under the wind and the waves of that storm, he will now be with you through every storm. Because he didn't let go of you then, he will never let go of you in the future. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of every storm. And he'll never let go of you because of his strength and his promise. It's all about him. It's not about you and me. And the cross proves it all. He's the Lord of the storm.